Welcome to Time Travelling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every episode of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Trisha. And I'm Paddy. In today's story, we will be discussing the Aztecs. We will be going through some story trivia as well, discussing the characters and giving our thoughts on the story as a whole. But before we get to that, I will give you a recap of the story. Episode 1, The Temple of Evil. The TARDIS arrives at its new destination and it appears to be in some sort of burial chamber. Barbara and Susan exit the TARDIS to look around and Barbara is able to identify the sarcophagus in the room as being of Aztec origin and she determines that they have arrived at some point in the late 15th century. Susan uncovers a secret entrance to the chamber and opens it. Susan says that she will get the others while Barbara explores the next room. In the next chamber she encounters an old man who says she is trespassing the sacred temple of the high priest Yataxa and summons guards to apprehend her. However, he notices Barbara wearing a bracelet that she had put on inside the burial chamber. The doctor is annoyed that Barbara has ignored his orders and that no one should wander off on their own, and he and the others leave to find her. As they are surveying the city below the temple, the entrance to the burial chamber closes, cutting them off from the TARDIS. Suddenly, the old man arrives again, introducing himself as Outlock, the high priest of knowledge, and welcomes the servants of Yataxa. They are confused and Ian asks where Barbara is. Outlock says that they will be brought to meet her and as they leave they encounter a sinister looking individual who they assume from his attire is something to do with the sacrificial aspect of Aztec society. They are brought to Barbara who is now wearing ceremonial attire and is being treated like royalty. After she dismisses the guards she informs the others that they believe she is the reincarnated spirit of Yataxa due to the fact that she was wearing his bracelet as she came out of the burial chamber. Susan tells her that they are cut off from the TARDIS and the Doctor warns her to keep up the pretense of being Yataxa or else they will be killed. Outlock arrives with the other man who introduces himself as Clatoxel, the High Priest of Sacrifice. They inform her that her arrival must be an omen to signal an impending end to the drought of the city that they have been suffering from. They also beseech her to let her companions explore the city. They decide that Susan will stay with Barbara and the Doctor and Ian will go explore the city together. Ian is worried about the intentions of the two priests but the doctor says that they shouldn't worry as they are already occupied with timing Barbara's appearance to the city with the rains to make it look like a miracle. Outside, Clatoxel seems unconvinced by Barbara and the others and seems to prefer the idea of human sacrifice to restore the rains. He convinces Outlock that they should make Ian the chief warrior to honour him due to his status as a companion of Yataxa. Clatoxel takes him to meet Ixta, who is the other candidate for chief warrior, while Outlock takes the doctor to the Garden of Peace. Ian encounters Ixta, who puts on a demonstration to show off his strength and skill to Ian. He then informs him that they are to bring the human sacrifice to the temple for the rain ceremony later that evening. The Garden of Peace turns out to be the Aztec equivalent of an old folks home, and the doctor takes an interest in a woman named Kameka. They strike up a friendly conversation, and the doctor convinces her to arrange a meeting with the son of the temple's architect, so that they may find an alternative way to get into the burial chamber. Ian arrives and tells the Doctor of his role in the Human Sacrifice Ceremony and the Doctor insists that he carry on with his role and thus not interfering with the proceedings. The Doctor goes to, on to inform Barbara of the sacrifice and tells her not to interfere either. Barbara refuses and says she will use her new status to order the Aztecs to abandon their sacrificial practices in an effort to save their society for when the conquistadors land in the future. The Doctors tell her that she cannot rewrite history and he knows this better than anyone. His pleas fall out on deaf ears though and she makes her way to the ceremony. She puts a stop to the ceremony, much to the anger of the victim who believes that he has been denied a great honour. Clotoxel convinces him to sacrifice himself anyway and he throws himself off the side of the pyramid. Just then the rains come and Clotoxel uses this to prove that human sacrifice is necessary to the survival of the Aztec people. 
He also demands that Susan be punished for crying out during the ceremony, but Barbara refuses and states that she will instead be educated about Aztec society. Clitoxa claims that she is a false goddess and vows to destroy her. Episode 2. The Warriors of Death The doctor gives out to Barbara for her interference and that they are now in danger. Barbara apologises, saying that she was caught in the heat of the moment. The doctor comforts her and says that he is potentially making progress in getting back to the TARDIS. Clitoxel enters and the doctor excuses himself to go back to the Garden of Peace. Clitoxel tries to catch Barbara out in her knowledge of Aztec mythology, but she refuses to answer him, saying that such questions should be posed by Outlock as he is the High Priest of Knowledge. Clitoxel also informs her that Ian will soon be fighting Ixta for the right to lead the Aztec army. Ixta is once again giving Ian a display of his martial prowess. Ian decides to give his own example and knocks Ixta unconscious using a nerve pinch. Clitoxel is incredulous when he hears this, but is distracted when he is told that the perfect victim wishes to speak to him. Due to his privileged status as the chosen sacrifice of the gods, Clitoxel manipulates the perfect victim into requesting a combat between Ixta and Ian later that evening. Clitoxel orders Ixta to kill Ian in their fight. In the Garden of Peace, the Doctor and Kameka are conversing about the temple. The Doctor smooth talks her and she offers to arrange a meeting with the architect's son for later that day. Although he only desires to know how to get back to the TARDIS, it appears the Doctor has grown quite fond of Kameka, who in turn has become attracted to him. Clitoxel meets with Barbara and says that until her questioning from Outlock is over, she is not permitted to speak to any of her companions. In another part of the city, Outlock is giving Susan etiquette lessons in an effort to groom her for her role in Aztec society, which she seems to rail against. Kameka goes to meet the architect's son, who turns out to be Ixta. He uses the fact that the Doctor doesn't know who he is to his advantage and intends to use his knowledge to help him beat Ian. He meets the Doctor and offers to show him the blueprints for the temple, but says that he requires his help to beat his opponent that evening. The Doctor promises to help and he coats a needle in the sap of a nearby plant in the garden and tells Ixta to scratch his opponent with it and it will weaken his opponent. At the temple, Barbara uses her knowledge of the future as a prophecy to try and get Outlock to side with her in an effort to forbid human sacrifice. He discusses this with Clitoxel, but is stopped when they witness the Doctor entering to speak with Barbara. He tells her of his progress in accessing the burial chamber and mentions his conversation with Ixta. Barbara reveals his identity to the Doctor and tells him that Ixta is Ian's opponent. He rushes from the temple to warn Ian, but is apprehended by the guards at Clitoxel's order for defying the rules of Barbara's confinement, and thus he is taken away. Barbara orders Outlock to have him released, as he did not know the law. She also tries to have the fight stop, but Outlock says that it cannot be done, but she shouldn't worry as the fight is not, in, not to the death. She asks him to ensure that it stays this way. At the Warrior's Lodge, the fight between Ian and Ixta gets underway, and it is clear that Ixta is outmatched. The Doctor is brought in and accidentally distracts Ian when he tries to warn him about the needle. Ixta successfully scratches Ian and eventually gets the upper hand. Clitoxel changes the rules of the contest and says the fight is now to the death, but Barbara enters and calls a halt to the fight. Clitoxel tells her to prove her divinity by saving Ian. Episode 3 The Bride of Sacrifice Barbara pulls a knife and holds it to Clitoxel's throat, saying that if Ian dies, so does he. The contest has ended and Ixa tells Clitoxel the needle the doctor gave him and explains why he helped him. Clitoxel says that they will have their chance to destroy their enemies again soon. Outlook cautions Barbara that Clitoxel will seek to gain his revenge. They also talk about her prophecy to him and they discuss the impending sacrifice of the perfect victim in three days time. 
There just happens to be a solar eclipse on that day, and Barbara urges Outlook to have the sacrifice stop so that she can prove that they do not need bloodshed to make the sun return. Kletoxel questions the doctor about his interest in the tomb, hoping to find some evidence to prove his belief that Barbara is not Yataxa. The doctor tells him that he should talk to Ixta about getting into the tomb to find his proof. Ian regains consciousness and seems to be a bit taken aback by Ixta's newfound friendliness. He says that because he has now proven he can beat Ian, there is no need to seek his immediate death. Kletoxel comes in and asks for the blueprints that Ixta promised the doctor, but Ixta says that none exist as his father died before he could draw them down. Ixta takes Ian away, but before they leave, Ian managed to overhear Clitoxel begin to plot to kill Barbara with an attendant named Tanilla, but hears no more before Ixta calls him away. Clitoxel plays on Tanilla's devotion to the gods to arrange a test for Barbara. If they poison her and she dies, then she is an imposter. Tanilla suggests that they add Outlock to their test, but Clitoxel says that he will only seek to stop the test. In the Garden of Peace, Outlock is talking to Kameka about her newfound happiness, and she says that the cause is the doctor. Kameka wishes to offer the doctor a ceremonial cup of cocoa to show her intentions of a relationship with him. The doctor, however, who misinterprets her intentions, offers to make it for her in return, which he makes her even happier. He returns and they share a drink of cocoa. Kameka tells him that she accepts his proposal, much to the doctor's shock. Ian goes to warn Barbara about Kletoxel's plans, but gets into a debate about whether or not Barbara is misguided in her intentions to save the Aztecs. Ian makes her see that Clitoxel represents the majority of the Aztec people and that there is no chance of her converting them. He goes into hiding as Clitoxel and Tanilla enter with a peace offering of a drink. Clitoxel says that they should make amends and each take a drink from the bowl. Barbara agrees but stops when she sees Ian warning her from the shadows. Barbara calls their bluff by asking them to drink first and then smashing the bowl when they do not. Tanilla flees and Clitoxel says that it was a test to prove her divinity. In her anger, Barbara reveals the truth to Clitoxel, but threatens to ruin him if he attempts to reveal it. After he leaves, Ian comes out to comfort a distraught Barbara. Clitoxel meets with Tanella and comes up with another plan to oust Barbara. They discuss Susan's lessons at the seminary and plan to use her opposition to Aztec marriage rituals against her. Tanella brings the perfect victim to see her, and he says that he will take her as, a, as his bride, but she refuses. The perfect victim storms off and Tanella says that Susan must be punished for breaking the law for granting the, perf the perfect victim any desire during his final days of life. Outlock promises to help the despondent Susan. Back in the garden, Kameka gives the doctor a token of her love, which is a relic from the tomb of Yataxa. She says it was a gift from the architect who also had fallen in love with her. The doctor seems to have accepted being cut off from the TARDIS and appears to be content to have a life with Kameka. Clitoxel and Tanella go to speak with Barbara, and they discuss punishing someone who has spoken against their teachings, but do not give Susan's name. Barbara agrees to discuss the punishment further, but asks that her servants be in attendance as well, and Clitoxel eagerly agrees. In the warrior's hut, the doctor is showing Ian the token Kameka gave him. He tells him about a mural on a wall in the Garden of Peace with the same symbol as the token, and he believes that there is a tunnel from there to the tomb. He also reveals his engagement, for which Ian begins to tease him. They make plans to investigate the tunnel later that night. Outlock reveals to Barbara that Susan is the one to be punished, which causes a dilemma for Barbara between saving Susan and not interfering in the timeline. Ian sneaks out of the warrior's hut that night, but Ixta overhears him and sneaks out after him. Ian meets with the doctor, and together they prize the mural off the wall, which reveals the entrance to a tunnel. Ian goes on to explore the tunnel, and the doctor stands guard. Ixta sneaks up on him and tells the doctor, who is playing dumb, that they need to close up the tunnel as it is linked to a floodgate from the hills that could destroy the garden. 
Ian now finds himself sealed into the tunnel as the water slowly begins to cover his feet. Episode 4 The Day of Darkness Doctor begs Ixta to open the mural to save Ian, but Ixta refuses and leaves. Inside the tunnel, Ian discovers another tunnel going up from the one that he is in and manages to force his way through the entrance just as the water starts to get higher. He carries on through the tunnel and emerges in the tomb of Yataxa. He investigates the secret entranceway that they first found and notices it works on a hinge system. He takes the bandages from the mummified remains of Yataxa and rigs the doors so that they can pull it open from the outside. He exits the tomb and encounters Barbara, just as the doctor is coming to give her the grim news. His happiness at Ian's survival is short-lived, though, as Barbara informs him of Susan's impending punishment. Ian says he will retrieve her and then departs. In the warrior's hut, Ixta and Clitoxel are gloating over his victory. Ixta is tasked with guarding Susan and he boasts about having beaten Ian. Ian sneaks in and knocks him out and flees with Susan. They rush back to the temple to help Barbara and the doctor open the door, but the bandages snap. Ian says he would have to go through the tunnel again, and Susan volunteers to go with him and stand guard for him. Back in the warrior's hut, Clitoxel realises that if Outlock discovers Ian is still alive, he will use it to discredit Clitoxel's statement about Barbara's divinity. He tells Ixta to kill him using one of the weapons that has been given to Ian. In the Garden of Peace, Ian and Susan discover the wounded Outlock and the weapon used to attack him. Ian realises it is a trap, but it is too late as the guards apprehend him and Ixta arrives to blame them for the attack. Outlock renounces his belief in Barbara as they are taken away. Clitoxel hears of this and plots with Tanella that rather than out Barbara as a false goddess, they will entomb her alive and say that she has gone back to the heavens thanks to the sacrifice of the perfect victim. In the Garden of Peace, the Doctor is carving a wheel from a piece of wood and discussing the current situation with Kameka. She offers to speak to Outlock on his behalf to try and get him to speak with Barbara again. Outlock goes to speak with Barbara and agrees that while she may not be a taxa, he does believe that her that Ian did not attack him. He agrees to try and rescue Susan, but Ian is too closely guarded. Kameka returns and has a bittersweet parting with the Doctor, as she knows that he will be leaving soon and that the Aztecs are a doomed race. Outlock enters the garden, greeting Kameka and discusses the inevitable fate of their people. He intends to go into the wilderness to contemplate everything that has happened over the last few days. He gives Kameka his seal of office so that she may give it to the guard watching Susan so she can rescue her. Clitoxel comes to the temple to gloat over his victory by telling Barbara that Outlock has left the city. Barbara despairs at this, but she has faith that the doctor can open the door for their escape. Clitoxel goes to plot with Tanilla over what to do at the eclipse. They will kill Ian and Susan before the sun goes dark, and then under cover of darkness deal with Barbara before returning to the sacrificial podium. As a reward for his help, Tanilla is promised Outlock's position. Kameka arrives at the warrior's hut and attempts to bribe the guard watching Ian and Susan. The guard is unsure about how to act, so Ian knocks him unconscious. He sends Susan on ahead with Kameka while he disguises himself in the warrior's armour. Kameka delivers Susan to the temple and bids goodbye to the doctor, who tries to put on a brave face. Ixta and Clitoxel find the prisoners missing. Clitoxel is furious that his plans may be undone and orders Ixta to kill the guard. Clitoxel goes to the temple to try and kill Barbara, but is stopped by Ian. Ixta arrives and he and Ian fight. Ixta gains the upper hand, but Ian manages to throw him over the top of the temple to his death below. He races back to the others, and they escape back to the TARDIS. Clitoxel calls off the pursuit so that they can complete the sacrificial ritual. Barbara bemoans the fact that they are bound by the laws of time not to interfere, but the Doctor points out that she was able to save Outlock. Before he leaves, he contemplates leaving Kameka's token behind, but decides to keep it. 
Later, as they are travelling, the doctor indicates that there seems to be some issue with the instruments, as some of them say that they have stopped, while others say that they are still moving. Ian says that they could have landed on something, but Barbara worries that they may have instead landed in something. End of the story. So that's it for the story recap. So now we're going to go over to the trivia corner with Trisha. Okay, Trish. Cool. So the Aztecs. The writer for the story is John Lucarotti. I keep butchering his name. I'm so sorry. We talked about John a few weeks ago when we discussed Marco Polo. This is the second of three stories John wrote for Doctor Who. The third being The Massacre of St. Bartholomew's Eve, which is also just referred to as The Massacre. This is currently the only Doctor Who story written by John that exists in the BBC archives. Marco Polo and The Massacre are both missing all of their episodes and neither one has a single frame of surviving footage. I am so glad that he at least has one story that we can see his amazing writing in. And from what I remember watching The Massacre years ago, like he is consistent in his good stories. Mm. The director for this is John Crockett. We also spoke about him before when we were discussing Marco Polo as he directed the fourth episode of that story. He was in fact assigned to direct this story due to his knowledge of history. This is the last Doctor Who directorial credit for John and since we're both fans of Marco Polo it would be interesting to see if this met the same high bar. Mm-hmm. This story aired from the 23rd of May to the 13th of June 1964. Now, on to our guest cast. We've got quite a variety of people today. So first we have Autlock. He's played by Keith Piot. Piot. Piot is probably a good way to go around it. Yeah, Piot. Um, Keith was a regular face in drama in the early days of television, appearing in The Prisoner, Out of the Unknown, and The Avengers. This is his only Doctor Who acting credit, though. Kameka, the Doctor's love interest, was played by Margot Vandenberg. We will get to see Margot on screen again as Katura in the fourth Doctor story, The Keeper of Traken. Ixta is played by Ian Cullen. Cullen has said that William Hartnell wasn't the friendliest person, though he did excuse it a bit by highlighting that Hartnell was trying to remember all those lines. He does not appear on screen in Doctor Who again, but he does play Nadean in the big Finnish audio drama Dark Eyes. Cullen also wrote several television series, films and radio plays. Be interesting to see. Sorry, be interesting to see how good his um, uh, writing is because I think he's a good actor. Mm. Katoxel is played by John Ringham. John was an old colleague of director John Crockett, and Crockett apparently told Ringham to make all the children in the country hate you. He has two more <laughs> Doctor Who acting credits, returning in The Smugglers and Colony in Space. He also was a playwright and the author of three books. Mm. For this story, it was Caroline Ford's turn to take a holiday. She took two weeks off during the filming of episodes two and three, and her scenes in those episodes were pre-recorded. Interesting fact, Jacqueline Hill said that this was her favourite story. I always find it kind of strange that like, when you read about the actors taking holidays in the early days of Doctor Who, because say, like, unlike, uh, for example, like longer 40-minute sci-fi shows like Battlestar or Star Trek, you know, characters missing for two an episode it's like all right 
they probably had a couple of days holidays whereas like with Doctor Who stories that are only like 25 minutes long it just seems kind of strange that they go on holidays during filming well yeah but if you imagine and we've discussed this before how many episodes there are in a season of Doctor Who Mm. and each of those episodes takes roughly a week to make yeah so that would be essentially going ha- six months plus without a day off. Yeah, that's true, I suppose. So I think it's understandable that they each get to take two weeks holiday. And th- the benefit of Doctor Who is that you can kind of write it into the story why they're not there. True. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. Each week on Time Travelling Team, we talk about the Doctor, the companions and the villains as we see how they held up in the story. So Paddy, what did you think of the Doctor in this episode? So let me just first say that the love Doctor is in and will now see you. <laughs> I I'm, I absolutely love William Hartnell or I love uh, the first Doctor in this story. He is absolutely amazing. Like... You, like you have, you have his, te- you have his tender moments with Kameka, and like they're comedic as well. When he realizes that he's just become betrothed to this woman that he's only just met, and like their interactions are fantastic. And of course, we also have like the sterner side with the now very famous uh, scene of you can't rewrite history, not one line. I think that's a really, really great moment, and for like the first time to properly discuss the whole ramifications of traveling throughout uh history well like we, we obviously know it as human history because we don't really know every other history is kind of fabricated but the real dangers of attempting to change it for again for i suppose a children's show it, it comes across really well and it's not very condescending the way that they've done it and that goes down again to hartnell and also jacqueline hill i would say that this is probably the best we've seen him to date that that's my opinion anyway um and again it's just all the great qualities that make the doctor who the doctor is like the, the fury like the naivety the impishness the humor the whole lot it's great um so i absolutely adore him in the story yeah i think we really get to see in this story we may have had the chance to see it a bit in marco polo but obviously we didn't get to see it on screen mm-hmm. Um, but we do get to see on screen in this episode, like you said, that impishness, impishness that the Doctor has. Um, I absolutely loved him in the story. Like I said, for me, this is a quintessential Hartnell story. A mix of being able to read the room and act accordingly. Like instantly, he latches on to the fact that, oh crap, they think that she's a goddess returned we can't do anything to endanger her we have to play along and he immediately jumps on that doesn't miss a beat we get to see his great intelligence Mm -hmm. both in terms of just recognizing that one of the plants can have this numbing effect on a person and can knock them out um but also in his like ability to deduce okay there's a way into the temple it's probably going to be behind this stone thing and then we get his total missing the obvious which i think forms such a quintessential part of Hartnell's doctor is he is so oblivious to the obvious going on around him yeah the all the stuff with Kameka 
And the fact that he doesn't have the reaction you'd kind of expect him to have when he finds out that he just essentially proposed to her. (laughs) He kind of just sort of grins at it. And I was like, oh, go me. (laughs) You know, it's very, there's a lot of humor in it. Yeah. um, Which is great to see. In terms of the message of we can't mess with history, you can't change history. I like how he doesn't lecture her. He is just there for her. Mm. And he clearly understands what she's going through. The one question I would have about it, though. Yeah. And maybe I'm going to explain the answer to this question in the question itself is he was very adamant that she could not change the course of history. Now, doing away with Aztec ritual sacrifice before the arrival of the conquistadors could have had a massive impact on history, which is what Barbara wanted. But giving fire to a tribe in the prehistoric age was fine. Yeah. Now, maybe it's because that one was prehistory. But for all we know, that tribe was meant to die out. True. But I, I, I think you've kind of answered it uh, yourself there with the concept of prehistory. All right. Um, but again, like who's to say that that wasn't the actual tribe that did start with you know the huge progression of fire? Because we know that uh, Za had said that you know his father had been the fire maker. But maybe like it would, they were always meant to have been given fire by some in some way, shape, or form. Maybe that could have been a fixed point in time, just the same as the Aztecs dying out was is a fixed point in time. Yeah, I think I think that's kind of the point I'm trying to get to. Though is that like this is the first story where we see, even though he doesn't call it a fixed point in time. Yeah, we get the, the idea of fixed points in time, and there's some things that you just can't mess with. And. I think that this one especially um, for, uh, yeah, it, I would say that this is the definitive starting point for the concept of um, fixed, point in, fixed points in time. And a lot of great stories have built their back on this concept. But it's really good to see that the story that the concept was born from is also a fantastic story in, in and of itself. Yeah. And one thing there as well, just maybe another point for the Doctor about his thing with Kameka, is I think that I know that my my own perception of the Doctor going in was like, all right, you know, it's a Doctor and like this Susan's his granddaughter. But you never really kind of taken, you never really focus on the Doctor as a family man or the fact that he had to have had a wife to have kids to who had to have Susan. And his little moment at the end uh, before he goes back into the TARDIS and like contemplating leaving uh, Kameka's token behind, it, it really kind of, I think, humanizes him and shows him that he is someone, shows that he is someone capable of great love. Yeah, I would, I would call it one thing though. Yeah. The Doctor is an alien, so mm-hmm. we don't know that he had to have had a wife in order to have a granddaughter. Just saying. All right, true. <laughs> bit heteronormative there buddy um (laughs) no but seriously though i i do love that with his relationship with kameka and i I would call it a relationship because he doesn't just avoid her after he finds out that he's inadvertently proposed Hmm. he still really enjoys her company yeah and you can tell at the end he is kind of sad 
to leave her behind yeah and it, it's really really sweet and like to your point i think it does humanize him a lot more and it's good to see that his relationship with susan isn't a one-off thing it's not that susan is the only one who could ever have gotten through to him yeah he's a nice guy in general mm-hmm. and it also proves that you're never too old to have a bit of romance indeed indeed now i mentioned susan yes what do you think of susan in this story so again this is kind of an ongoing trend with susan as of late in my opinion anyway that she's been kind of relegated to the sidelines a bit now she doesn't really kind of come a huge lot into the fore until like the final episode for me anyway and the one thing though that i would say is even though she has been relegated to the sidelines it's mitigated a small bit by the impact that she has in certain scenes like she's been brought to the Aztecs school essentially to be told how to be the the perfect little Aztec wife but she's like nah sad that I'm, I'm not <laughs> <laughs> not for me and like as well I suppose to have this kind of a firm stance when there's none of her friends around to actually support her or to prevent any potential immediate backlash. That's the kind of Susan that I love to see. Unfortunately, for me, there's just not enough of it in the story. Yeah, I mean, Susan isn't in this much due to Caroline being on holiday. Yeah. Right? It's a four-episode story and she was on holidays for two of them. Yeah. It's just the nature of the way the stories are written so she could have some time off. I do think... It is still playing a bit much into her being a child rather than her being a young adult. Um, I'm getting a little bit sick of that, to be honest. Mm -hmm. But she does it very well in this episode, to your point. Like, I'm kind of peeved that we're seeing it again, but within the context of this story, it doesn't particularly bother me. I do commend her on standing by her principles, though. Yeah. I mean, like you said, she had no one there to support her. She didn't have a grandfather. She didn't have Ian. She didn't have Barbara. But she stands by her principles. It's like, I'm not marrying him. You can't make me. <laughs> I don't care if he is the perfect victim and gets everything he wants. I'm not marrying him. Yeah, and there's a little bit of teenage rebellion in there. But also, you kind of see that... And we saw it a little bit, I think, in Marco Polo. I think this is a thread. Mm. That our writer has sort of carried over from those two. In that I get the sense that Susan puts a lot of value on self-control and self... How to put it? Being in control of oneself when it comes to romantic relationships and particularly the concept of marriage. Mm. The idea of arranged marriages does not sit with her. Yeah. And it's nice to see that carry through, that it wasn't just in Marco Polo. She's like, oh my God, but like, you're 16. Why are you getting married? It's actually something that carries through, that the idea of someone arranging her life for her, Mm. no, does not fly. Yeah. And you sort of wonder if that is all of her and her grandfather's society, if that's just her point of view. It's interesting that we get this sort of insight into her. Yeah, and like, and as well, like when you're saying about their society, is that like with the exception of an unearthly child, there's no real reference to what would eventually become the Time Lords or Gallifrey for a very, very, very long time into the show's history. And you be you would, these kind of questions would 
be raised kind of going, all right, uh, like what has she seen to give her like this firm standpoint? Like, because we know they can travel in time and space. Like, what other cultures have they encountered on their journeys prior to meeting Ian and Barbara that also had something to give her this kind of viewpoint? Yeah. And, you know, maybe it also speaks as well to why did they leave in the first place? That's actually, that's, we a, don't know. that's a really good point. Yeah. So, our other uh, companion in this story, we're going to leave the main companion till yes. last, I think, yeah. um, of our main cast, um, Ian. Cool. So do you want to start off with Ian or will I start or will I start off with him? Uh, you can go first. Cool. So we, he's proven that he can fight with a sword. He's proven that he can ride a horse. He now has proven that he's either part Vulcan or is in some way, shape or form a proto, a proto ancestor of the Vulcans with his nerve pinch abilities. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, this came first. Yeah. Look at you, Leonard Nimoy. This came first. <laughs> yeah. Oh, like there's going to be a lot of stuff in Doctor Who that I'm going to completely say that star trek ripped off of but um no i again i really want to know what ian's background is uh because <laughs> like Ixta in the story has like kind of climbed to the top of aztec warrior society to the, to the extent of he is the primo candidate to lead their armies and ian's only kind of given the the, uh, the grace of contesting it because he's meant to be a, a celestial servant but he really holds his own against Ixta in that fight. Like, he out-wrestles him. He out-maneuvers him. He does really everything. And again, it's just through the Doctor's help that Ian gets um, blindsided. Do you want to hear my William Russell headcanon? Yeah. So, William Russell mm-hmm. played Lancelot in The Adventures of Sir Lancelot. Which is a great series, once again. Great series. My headcanon is that Ian... Mm-hmm. is a descendant, descendant of, of Sir Lancelot and he takes great pride in that <laughs> and so growing up he did everything he could to be like his ancestor that's yeah. my headcanon that I made up and just speaking about William Russell's I suppose acting as well like because there's one moment in this that I really really love and like because we've seen Ian up until now as you know he's he's not, he's the action man. He's the guy that really kind of throws himself into things to defend his friends, be they his immediate travelling companions or the friends he makes along the journey. Or, you know, he's usually showing strength. And the sequence at the end of episode three where he's in the tunnel and he sees the water starting to rise up, there's just a look of real realisation and terror on his face that it's, it is one of those great cliffhanger endings that Classic Who is just so well known for. And William Russell to go like to completely one eighty from the character he's been portraying so well up until this point to kind of showing the real fear of someone. I think it's great. Yeah, I think that you know closing part of the episode with the water rising and him being stuck. Mm. It's sort of like Barbara has kind of had her oh my god we could die on this moments. Yeah, several times throughout the stories that we've already discussed. I think this is really Ian's. This is where it kind of hits him. Yeah. I am trapped in a tunnel that's filling with water and I don't know the way out. Yeah. I could actually die here. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is a nice thing to see for the guy that we usually see as action men. Yeah. And as well, like unlike, say, in the Daleks where you know he's hanging off the side of the cliff with uh, Antidus hanging off of him, he knows that he maybe he could motivate Antidus to try and grab onto the wall or something to... He knows that he has someone else there 
to potentially play off of and help him whereas here it's just Ian and Ian is like I'm screwed yeah the, the, he's completely alone in that there's nothing he can do to help himself except to think his way out of the problem which he's really good at yeah and we'll just speak of the fight scene again just um i'll probably save it for the summary completely in detail but a huge call out to the fight choreographer for this story as well it was amazing yeah we've kind of talked about fight scenes in the past you know we both really liked the fight scene that was in an unearthly child yeah we weren't a big fan of the fight scene in the daleks nope i think this one again brings us back around to it's not quite shot in the same way as an earth an unearthly child mm-hmm. but i think it's still shot very very well yeah and it does make me a bit sad that we didn't get to see the ones from marco polo yeah because that's as you said it's, um Waris hussein who did the first fight scene but it's john lucarotti's story so uh, a combination of two really good direction uh, for ian and for those other people inside the fights is great i think yeah i think the other stuff we see with ian here i think you've mentioned most of it you know what sort of weird background does you know mild-mannered ian chesterton have yeah that he becomes action man when he's out traveling also this is something that it'll be interesting to see if this continues as a trend for ian he just accepts his role He's like, oh, you're going to be the head of the army. And he's like, okay. He just, whatever role is required of him on any given day, he just accepts it and goes with it. Yeah. Now we can add Quantum Leap to the site, the, to the group of shows that take inspiration from Doctor Who. Yeah, I'll just roll with it. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see if, A, if this trend continues, but also, you know, as we move on, down through the doctors and through the other companions if our future companions behave the same way Mm. where they just accept oh yeah i'm going to be the head of an aztec army cool (laughs) or if they resist it more i think it'll be interesting to see that and to come back and compare it with how ian reacts and just like one final note for ian this i think this story is and we'll be talking about barbara now in a minute but this story for me cemented these characters in my rating system in the way that I have them at the moment like William Hartnell is in my top five doctors Ian and Barbara are actually in my top five companions Barbara on the rewatch made the huge leap from top 10 to top five and this was a story that when in college we did Doctor Who week this was the showcase for the first doctor yeah I remember that yeah so on to the goddess herself Yep, Miss Barbara Rice. Mm-hmm. What do you think of Barbara? Um, it's it's not that hard to say. <laughs> like she's just pu- an example of pure awesomeness in the story. Like her interactions with friend and foe alike are amazing. Like her one-upmanship with Clatoxel, um, her attempts to even just save one person you know, with Outlock, and try like as a history teacher she knows what's coming and she seems like all the horrible effects and what is lost with the colonization of the Americas. And if there's something there that she can save, she wants to try and do it. So I think Barbara is a great tragic figure in this. She like, she's a tragic heroine. She's an amazing example of a, I suppose 
a female taking over the role of a male because Yataxa was a man and she's the, meant to be the reincarnated spirit and none of them kind of go well you know hang on a sec there no she just gets across the fact that she could be a divine being so well yeah I think it's interesting that you know when Clitoxel starts to doubt her yeah he doesn't doubt her because she's a woman yeah he doubts her because she's saying and doing things that seem counter to their belief system exactly and I, the the whole thing of attempting to change the past will come up an awful lot in the show as we said but very few can do it well and very few of those few can come close to Barbara in dealing with those scenarios I think yeah like the thing that I found with Barbara in this was at the end you just feel so bad for her Mm. she wasn't she took on this role of a goddess which some people could argue was like what are you doing and there may be a little bit of like colonial white you know white superiority coming across in that Mm. I don't think that's the way it was intended though no but you do kind of go what what are you doing why are you pretending to be a goddess or whatever but the fact that she wants to change things is not because she has the power over these people yeah it's because she is a student of history she clearly loves their society and everything mm-hmm. she knew about them which bear in mind the aztec society was incredibly advanced mm-hmm. and she didn't want that to be gone yeah. and so while she was misguided in her attempts to change history it all came from a good place and yeah. of her just wanting to see this society like what could it have become if it hadn't been stamped out yeah because like i am also one of those people that kind of take a look at say native americans or the mayans or the incas or aztecs and see how far advanced they were but for the uh, colonial powers at the time it's like uh, they don't have the same level of technology we do let's just take them over and so much is lost i think in that and barbara is a voice for that kind of or for people like myself one thing i think would have been kind of funny to see is like uh we didn't actually see it on screen but like barbara going and going yes that's right i am your taxa bow down before me in fairness she owns it though oh she absolutely I mean, does the minute she comes in to that um audience chamber with the headdress on and everything yeah she is owning that from the word go yeah and she again she's a student of history she kind of knows what these types of things are meant to be about she makes you believe that she is this high priestess goddess whatever also like you mentioned like the way that she handles Clitoxel. Yeah. She just owns him at every turn. <laughs> it's brilliant. But then you see how much she genuinely cares for Autlock as well. And how much it saddens her that she hurt him. Yeah. Because she didn't want to. And it, and it is a sad moment where he just kind of goes, you are no goddess or I can't remember the exact wording of it. But she feels like she's just lost um, a friend, a newfound friend. Yeah, I actually, what I find even more heart wrenching, to be honest, is the bit before that, 
Mm. Where he's like, I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't remember the exact wording, but it's basically, please don't lie to me. Yeah. You know, I have faith in you. I really hope you're not lying to me. Mm. And you're just like, oh, petal. And I think that's actually kind of a nice segue into the story-based companions because, like, Outlock is, I think, first on the list. Yeah. With Outlock, like I said, I feel so bad for him. Hmm. He is such a nice guy that knowing from the offset that our heroes are deceiving him is tough because you feel for him from the off. He has 100% faith in her. And you can only imagine a man in his position... Who suddenly encounters, you know, this goddess returned. Hmm. That, that's amazing. Like that, that's probably the only thing he could ever hope to happen. Yeah. And it happened to him. And like one thing I love about Outlock is, like, he's not a rebel in his own society, like because he's like, he in his role as the high priest of knowledge, like he's open to knowledge of any sort be it within his own within the wheelhouse of Aztec mythology or outside of it but he's not one of those people that's like you know we're what we're doing is wrong we should be better than this and I think he very could have easily been written that way and I'm glad that he wasn't because I think that would have been a bit frustrating to see yeah I think he's very open-minded and we see that when Ian is highlighting to Barbara that Autlock is the exception in the society, hmm. not the norm. Yeah. But the interesting thing is that while he, as the high priest of knowledge, he recognizes the rains will come. Yeah. The eclipse will happen, regardless of whether you do a sacrifice or not. Hmm. But he is also part of that society. Yeah. And while he thinks that things will happen even if they don't do the sacrifices, he recognises how much it means to the perfect victim. He recognises how much it means to the people. And he's not an anarchist who's trying to change everything. But he is open-minded. Which is why I think it hurts so much that he met this goddess mm. who taught him so much and who seemed to believe him and have the same ideas as him that the rains will come regardless he's like oh this is you know i was right so this knowledge i've gathered is correct and for that then to turn out to be a lie is so it's so heart-wrenching to watch and what i love about otlock as a character is he doesn't rally and rage when he finds out the truth yeah he doesn't try to take barbara down publicly shame her or anything Mm. he just gives up all of his worldly belongings and goes off to find himself yeah and i was just thinking uh they're like the outlock and clitoxel they represent like the two personality types i've met a lot of in my life in that You've got two people that observe the same either fate or they have the same level of interest in something. And Clitoxel is that, that diehard, you, this is the right way, this is the only way that you can take a look at something. Whereas Outlock has the same level of fate, but explains it in such a way of, this is what it's all about, make your own decision. 
When you say people, are you describing Doctor Who fans? Or oh, no, basically no. anyone from any fandom? Anyone from any... No, and is it like anyone from any fandom or outlook on life or religious persuasion or sexual persuasion? Anyone that's met I've met in my life, there's all, there seems to be two kind of character types I come across of when I attempt to learn something. And Outlook is the representative of the latter one, which is, here's what everything's all about. You can make your own decision about how you want to think of it going forward yourself. Yeah. Before we go on to our villains, mm-hmm. we have one more story-based companion to discuss. Yes. And that is Kameka. Yeah. The love interest of our Doctor in this story. Mm-hmm. Or I've dubbed her the Juliet to the Doctor's Romeo. Oh. Yeah, because like, there is that moment where at the end she goes, you're leaving. And he says yes. And you can see that there's a part of him that wants to stay. But he's he can't, and it is the thing of Starcross lovers of that. Maybe if it had just been the Doctor and Susan, or maybe if it had just been the Doctor, he might have settled down. Yeah, yeah. the one thing I find interesting about Kameka as a character is, yeah. so she's in this retirement garden. Yeah, right. <laughs> she's reached a certain age. She's in the retirement garden. Yeah. We don't find out if she has any children. We don't find out if she was married before. But what we do find out is that Ixta's father yeah. courted her, for mm-hmm. lack of a better word. And I kind of get the sense that if he doesn't have a thing for her, mm-hmm. Autlock does care for her a great deal as well. Yeah. And, But it doesn't come off in a bad way. She doesn't come off as like this you know, woman who's getting her hands in... Yeah. all these powerful men do you know you sort of get the sense that she is an amazing woman which is why all of these men keep falling for her yeah like it's oh, like there's a character that comes to mind for the first person that you mentioned and that's uh, the character Lucy from Dracula who had three of the heroes courting her and she was kind of stringing them all along to see who could give her the best marriage proposal mm. and that, that's not who she is like she is that person that is just so genuine that people can't help but fall in love with her. Yeah, and clearly she is very well respected in their society. I just loved her. I thought she was a great character and shame on you, Doctor, for leaving such an amazing woman behind. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And yeah, it was just, oh God, it's such a bittersweet. going back and watching it is even worse like because you know how it's going to end up but you still get really engrossed in their relationship for as brief as it is you know yeah so lastly in our round of discussion we have our villains so hiss boo hiss (laughs) let's start with the man with the impossible name clitoxel every time i hear that name i think of like some sort of hair regrowth tonic (laughs) <laughs> um, ap- ap- apologies to the uh, the Aztecs your names are a bit weird um, but yeah what do you make of Clitoxel I think Clitoxel could have very easily been a cardboard cutout stereotype yeah. that we have seen in depictions of ancient societies before yeah you know, the high priest who's all about human sacrifice is very bloody and 
it's usually played as they're a horrible person and they get great joy out of killing other people is kind of the stereotype that usually crops up with this type of character. Yeah. The thing with Clitoxel though is what makes him the villain is his complete faith in what he does. Mm. I don't think he gets joy out of killing people. I don't think that's where it stems from. I think he gets joy in knowing that he is a servant of the gods and he is doing their will. And it blinds him to the fact that maybe he got it wrong. I I don't know because like, I see what you're saying, like, but like, there are times there where it now again it's purely based on the circumstances of the story where Yataxa has returned. But there are points in it where it almost seems like he's abusing his position of power. But that could be solely for the fact to oust uh, Barbara. Well, yeah, no. I I don't deny that he abuses his position. Oh, Oh, he does. And he plays other people and he's a little pop-up master pulling all the strings. Oh, no, no. I completely believe that. What I mean is that I don't think he does all of it because he likes having an excuse to kill people. Oh, yeah, no, no. Yeah, I I don't think he's a serial killer in disguise or anything like that. No, which he could have easily come across that way. Do you know, oftentimes, the sacrificial priest does come across that way. Yeah. Do you know? And he doesn't. I think the direction he got to make the children hate you, mm. he did that very well. <laughs> he does. And, like, there's a thing that kind of comes across in a lot of stuff, like TV shows or uh, my own, with my own personal kind of... Uh, pastimes uh pro wrestling is that like you've got villains and you sometimes like there's like the cool villain or the villain's like yeah oh you're kind of awesome but no clitoxel falls into the other part which is i hate this guy i hate him the guy's got no redeeming features to make him cool whatsoever i hate him and i do hate clitoxel but he is cool to watch <laughs> um no like I think he's a fantastic... He is. You have to admit it. Like He's a fantastic villain. Because because I hate him so much, that's what makes him a fantastic villain. There's one thing that I would I don't agree with the direction he was given. Or maybe it was... He should have been called up on it. It's his stooped over posture. I, I think they, like, you know, it was added to make him a bit more sinister. But I think with that actor who... Oh, I'm trying to remember his name right now. I'm very sorry. Let me get the guy's name. Uh, John Ringham. Um, I think John Ringham's acting alone gets across the creep factor uh, of Clitoxel so well that he didn't need to have like any sort of a physical deformity or difference to add to it. Yeah, although we don't know if that was his choice or if that was a direction choice. Oh, yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, that I think that if it wasn't a direction choice, maybe it should have been... Again, just my own personal thing, that maybe they just kind of said that your acting is so good, you don't need to kind of go all Richard the Third on it with the hump. Um, but look, at the end of the day, Clitoxel is a fantastic villain that I absolutely hate. And then we have our minor villain for this story, Ixta. Yeah. yeah. Who I think initially comes across as a bit dim. Yes. But he learns from each experience, which was... Which was which, he learns from each experience which is what makes him an interesting villain. And it's mm. clearly how he became the leader of the army before Ian came along. Yeah. 
Ian told him that he uses stealth and cunning to defeat an enemy. Hmm. And immediately Ixar was like, I need to use stealth and cunning to defeat my enemy. And he does. Yeah. And it's and it's all... Well, I wouldn't say it's all by his loans because he gets the doctor to help him. But it's the use of cunning that gets the doctor to help him. Oh, yeah. Like, he's yeah. a very intelligent warrior. He's not hmm. maybe on the same level as our heroes in terms of that kind of stuff. Hmm. But you could tell he could very easily be he could very easily get to that level and he plays to his audience so depending on who he's talking to he's the big strong head of the army and whatever or he's inquisitive or he's challenging or he's a little bit submissive and he changes it depending on who he's talking to yeah he he kind of reminds me he seems like the reverse of a hero in certain things in that like in certain franchises like as maybe anime would be a good example of the hero comes up against the villain and gets the shit knocked out of them but then they learn from the fight so the next time they fight them they get the upper hand and that's what we had here was like that Ian took down Ixta very easily through the use of uh, cunning or in this like you know he uses the, the nerve pinch so Ixta realises that maybe in a contest of brute strength I may not have the upper hand but if I use cunning I can show my dominance and that's why like I think Ixta is way more than like the two dimensional uh, kind of tough man villain of the week what you actually just raised an interesting point there yeah I wonder if we were to view this story from Ixta's point of view Mm. would he actually be the hero archetype of his own story defending his culture and his position learning from these invaders i know like would he be the hero of his own story if we had looked at this from his point of view quite possibly i i think like yeah if you flipped it around then yeah like obviously he would probably be the hero of that society because you have like i suppose from their perspective the the celestial beings that they have worshipped for however long have come down and don't seem to be what they had envisioned so he would probably take it upon himself to kind of go look maybe the status quo is what's best for us right now we can still give them reverence but let's still be kind of in command of our own destiny as such and yeah i think he probably would end up being the hero of his own tale um just before we go it actually kind of reminds me of uh za in the sense of he's someone that is a very capable on his own and someone to watch out for but when someone else is kind of pulling the strings or kind of goading him he just seems to be like 10 times worse i got that feeling as well so that's our discussion of characters and villains sorry heroes and villains for the week uh so now we're going to give it our uh, rating system so trish how about you lead us off into this one cool so i just got to jump straight to the point yeah aztecs five out of five totes recommend yeah brilliant story i just have to get it there's no point in me trying to hide it it's one of my favorite stories ever i totally get why this was jacqueline hill's favorite story as well it's a great exploration of barbara's character it's a great show of 
the doctor and his personality and what he's like. Yeah, we don't get too much development from Susan, but what we do get reinforces her as an independent thinker, which I quite like. Mm. And I must say, John Lucarotti is such a great writer. Yeah. He totally immerses you in the story, in the character, in the culture. And it makes me all the more gutted that we didn't get to actually watch the actual f- footage of Marco Polo. Mm. And the fact that we're not going to get to watch the actual footage of the massacre. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it, a, it's so good. Uh, it's a shame as well, like because... Um, to call back to our discussion of Marco Polo, you weren't quite a fan of Marco. That's putting it mildly, and um, <laughs> I had him down as a villain. That's yes, very mildly. Um, but it's amazing, like that. If the, if that had survived, would the camera work have portrayed him in a potentially different light, true to his like facial acting and stuff like that? Quite possibly not, but it might have mitigated a small bit to on your opinion of him. And it, yeah, it is a shame because John Lucarotti's like writing is amazing. I think. Yeah, like this was an amazing first story to emphasize. You do not mess with history. Yeah, it was done so well. It has a little bit of like bonk bonk on the head. <laughs> yeah, but not in a "you're dumb." We need to spell this out for you kind of way. In a sort of gentle way they do it do you know the way the doctor explains it to barbara like i said in our discussion he wasn't being mean to her he wasn't lecturing her Mm. he was just explaining to her that she can't change the past yeah and i suppose as a result of that it's a very kind of thinking back on it it's a very sad realization that they, unlike the previous stories they don't really achieve anything in this story because like say in Marco Polo they help prevent the assassination of uh, Kublai Khan um, in the uh, Unearthly Child they help potentially save that tribe with the fire whereas in this nothing of Aztec society bar outlock leaving has changed yeah and it it is kind of a, a bleak thing for them like so that they are all very sad for different reasons um which it just again adds to the ama- overall amazingness that's right i said amazingness of um this story like it's an absolute five out of five for me and despite the request of one of my friends to break the rating scale it's going to be I, i'm not going to do that it's going to be five out of five yeah, I think if we ever have a story that breaks the rating scale, it's going to have to be something ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but no, for me, like, you know, a lot of people, you see it on message boards, you see it on forums, you see it on Facebook groups. A lot of people saying, oh, I don't know if I want to watch the old ones. You know, A, they're in black and white the technology to create the episode wasn't great the special effects are bad you don't need any of that for this episode no. you know if you're someone who can't get over 60s special effects it doesn't matter in this episode no it doesn't, it doesn't matter at all no and even actually just remind me even the costuming in this episode 
Mm. Again, it's the same as Marco Polo. The costuming and set design are so good. Oh, they're they're fantastic. They're like very very appropriate. Um, I think it was actually kind of called out that it was very uh, faithful to Aztec clothing and uh, architectural styling. Yeah, like th- there had been at the time there was a little bit of a call out saying like, oh, you're not dressing people appropriately. Um, to do with like how much skin was showing and all this kind of stuff but actually historians said no actually what what they wore mm. was very appropriate yeah um to the time period i, I think this is just it's just so good it, it's got like, it's got everything it's got romance drama action um espionage with like you know secrecy uh you're never bored watching it because no. Like one thing that uh, I don't think I've kind of quite pointed out on the podcast is that just for ease of doing the summary, I sometimes group uh, cutscenes together for a bit more of a, a better narrative. Whereas with this one, I've kind of left it in like that. It's that sort of like each cut is separate. And I think that that lends itself to never being bored with the story because the cuts keep you up to date with everyone's individual storylines in a really good and engaging manner that it makes you want to go, Oh, but go back to them. Oh, wait, no, no, go back to them. Oh, wait, no, go back to them. Yeah, and actually, that, that's an important thing that, um, slight preview into next week's episode. Hmm. The way they covered Susan being missing for two episodes of a four-episode story by pre-recording some inserts that would yeah. go into that story hmm. was really good because you didn't just put Susan out of your mind for two weeks. Yeah. She was still there, even though Caroline Ford wasn't. And the fact that all the characters were split up at that point, it kind of doesn't really matter that Susan was off by herself learning how to be an Aztec. <laughs> yeah. um, and I like that they didn't just not have her there. Like, if you think about when we were doing The Keys of Marinus and William mm. Hartnell was on holiday, yeah, his character just wasn't in those episodes. Whereas, like, with Susan, like, she's she's there and again as i said she's raising some very interesting points yeah exactly so that's it for this week guys make sure to join us next week when our team uh, must put their minds against the mysterious sensorites if you'd like to hear more about upcoming episodes and join in on the conversation you can check us out at time team that's at t-i-m-e-t-e-a-m-p on facebook twitter and instagram or you can email us at time traveling team at teamproductions.com. Talk to you next time. Bye.